This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. What's up, Chad? Happy... It's not fall yet, but it's after Labor Day. I'm going to go ahead and say it's not, but I'm <laughs> wishful thinking here. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, four-day work week for me, and so that's automatically a win. I've had two days of school, and I'm already more than halfway done, so... <laughs> Two more days and I'm already at another weekend and I'm looking forward to that. So it's, it's going good. Are things okay with you? Things are good. Things are good. Things are good. Um, we are digging into Mafia and The Lover today. So we have post, um, post-wedding Pam and Jim. So we got some good stuff to talk about. Mm-hmm. Before we do, though, let's start with just a couple of things. Uh, first off, you might have seen it on our social media this weekend, on our Twitter and on our Facebook page. We have a P.O. box now. Um, mostly because I don't want to put my return address, like my home address, on a lot of outgoing mail. Uh, so we have a P.O. box now, and so you can find that. Uh, we're going to put it in the show notes, but I'll go ahead and read it out. You can address it to an American workplace, or you can address it to me, uh, and it's P.O. box number 852134, and the city is Mesquite, M-E-S-Q-U-I-T-E, Texas, and 75185. And we definitely don't expect anyone to send anything to us. We didn't create this just to get free <laughs> stuff from you guys. Uh, but if you wanted to like drop us a letter or something, that'd be great. And all that goes to say, Patreon supporters, we have officially sent out your stickers, your long promised stickers. They're on their way to you. And so we would love to get pictures and uh, just receipt saying hey we got our stickers and this is what we're doing with it that'd be really cool to see our stuff out there in the world yeah that'd be really cool send us um a picture of what you're doing with a sticker and maybe where you're located um again not addresses just like cities would be great um because <laughs> we we kind of want to see who's you know repping the stickers so uh thanks as always for your support and um hope you enjoy your little your little swag Stuff we all get. Stuff we all get. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we also got some new reviews and recommendations. We got a couple of new reviews from Eric's Mom 2005 and The Cheesy Pita. (laughs) What a great reference. Um, Recommended by Caitlin on Facebook. Thank you, Caitlin. She says five stars. So uh, thanks for those five stars. And thank you for the reviews as well. I think we are good with housekeeping. We can go ahead and dig into Mafia. It aired on October 15th, 2009, directed by David Rogers, written by Brent Forrester. With Jim and Pam gone to Puerto Rico for their honeymoon, Michael is the sole branch manager in the office once again. An insurance salesman with the last name Grotti shows up to talk to Michael, who thinks nothing of it until Andy and Dwight tell Michael their suspicions. This guy is in the mafia, and he is looking to threaten Michael into purchasing his insurance or else. Michael must decide how to deal with this grotty without upsetting the mob, supposedly. It doesn't occur to Michael that he's possibly just dealing with a salesman who happens to be a little pushy and happens to be of Italian descent. Mm -hmm. And that's that. Um... Well, actually, sorry, it does occur to him. It does not occur to Andy and, and Dwight, who um, <laughs> really, really push Michael to, uh, to believe this. So, yes, Grady is selling business insurance. Um, 
Michael is the manager of a business or of a branch of a business. So that makes sense. Uh, but Grotti is mentioning bad things that could happen. For instance, a fire in the warehouse or a delivery truck that might drive off the road. You would want insurance on those instances. Michael and Dwight and Andy read those as threats. He's going to burn the warehouse down. He's going to drive a truck off a road or, or push a truck. You know, it's, it's not what he's saying. That's not how insurance works. He's just doing his job. Just a, a quick thing right off the bat. I think we might be seeing a sort of consequence of the whole co-manager situation. Uh, with Michael only focusing on the big picture, he's run out of things to do. And so, like, when Grotti shows up and Aaron is first trying to sort of pencil him into Michael's schedule, she has to shift playtime to the next day and creative space to that afternoon. So Michael has blocked his entire workday to creative space and playtime. So maybe his responsibilities are wearing thin because he's run out of things to do. Or... I mean, Michael being Michael, we say that a lot, I know, but he's shirking real responsibilities. Like, who's doing Jim's job while Jim's gone? Because, yes, Jim and Pam are on their honeymoon. Or maybe he's even just shirking his normal, like, big picture responsibilities that he has when Jim is there. So, I don't know, uh, but I just thought it was an interesting thing to sort of point out is that Michael seems to have a lot of free time for a manager. Yeah, and I... You're better at episode recall than I am, but I'm thinking of um, the episode where Jan asked Pam to keep a log of everything that Michael does during the day. And, um, you know, it's Cosby impressions and took a nap and it's just nonsense all day long. And this is kind of another example of that. So when there's a business Mm -hmm. thing that actually does arise, business insurance is relevant. He just doesn't have time for it. And he's all perturbed that he has to push his you know, creative thinking time or whatever it is aside. And to be fair, Grotti is kind of a bigger guy. He is a little bit intimidating, but he's 100% not the mob. This is Scranton, Pennsylvania. Scranton. We're not even like a major city. We're not in Philadelphia or Pittsburgh. I have to think about for a second about being whether Pittsburgh was in Pennsylvania or not. But yes, it's not in a major city. It's Scranton for crying out loud. This is not the mafia. This is not the mob, whatever you want to call them. His name is Grotti, not Gotti, as Andy tries to make the connection. Uh, John Gotti, you idiot. No, it's a completely different name. Oscar's the one to point that out. So uh, Andy and Dwight convince michael that grotti is part of the mafia they convince him to meet with grotti uh for lunch uh and when he's trying to get michael to sign up for insurance andy is telling him to do it because andy thinks the best way to deal with a bully or to deal with a threat is to give in to the threat whereas dwight is saying don't sign up for insurance. The best way to defeat a bully is to stand up to the bully. Trust me, I've bullied lots of people. I know what it takes to get stood down. And this was really telling for me. Grotti says, I don't know what these guys are telling you, but would these two take care of your things if you were to die tomorrow? And Dwight, without hesitation, says, yes, of course I would. I mean, it's Michael we're talking about. I care a lot about Michael, and I would do anything for him. And that's when Michael, it's that moment that Michael decides to sign up for the insurance. And 
what that says to me is that Michael is aware that Dwight is a man of his word. He's trustworthy and he absolutely will take care of Michael's things if he was to die tomorrow, but he doesn't want Dwight involved in his affairs. And that hurts, I think. I kind of read into it the same way, but I don't know, differently. I have to get my thoughts organized. I thought it was like, would Michael or would would Dwight take care of your things? And Dwight says, yes. I guess I didn't think that Michael believed Dwight. But yours makes a lot more sense that, that like he wouldn't want Dwight handling his affairs, um, that he would need insurance. Mm-hmm. to take care of things if Michael wasn't around to do it. So, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I, th- I thought it was also telling that Dwight and Andy cited the way that they did, where Dwight said, um, don't get insurance. You can do it yourself. Like, be a bully. Andy is saying, give in. That's the easiest way. Don't fight back. Because it's so telling of their personalities. I mean, mm-hmm. Andy is Mr. Cornell Sailing Club you know, prep school button downs and <laughs> Dwight is like, <laughs> Dwight's Dwight. And so just the, the difference of personalities makes sense with the way that they cited. It, it was curious to me that Andy was so overly suspicious of Grotty from the get go. Like even when he first shows up and is walking to the conference room before he's heard a word out of this guy's mouth, really, he's decided that something is up with this guy. I'm very suspicious of this guy. You can see it in his face. And so I, I, I couldn't help but wondering his family is on the wealthy side we know we assume i mean it wasn't too long ago where his maid died he's got a maid uh any chance that his family has had some sort of run-in with the mafia before you know maybe um maybe i i didn't and, go that far but that's a possibility <laughs> yeah well like perhaps uh, some evidence showing that he might have had run-ins with the mafia before he says when somebody threatens you, you give in right away. Like, that's my experience. If somebody is going to make a threat toward me, sure, I'll take out my pocketbook. I'll hand over my wallet, whatever it is. I'm going to give in because that's just what I do. And that's my experience. So I don't know. I, I think that could be reading into it too much. But either way, what you said is true. It, it's very telling of Andy's personality. He just, he's not the one to pick his fights. He's the one to sort of let other people resolve them by giving in. And then we also see a character choice from Michael, um, where Grotti at lunch proceeds to be super obnoxious and rude um, as a restaurant guest. Michael seems to feel like he also needs to be tough and rude um, (laughs) just to prove that he's bad, that he's tough, that he can stand up to this, you know, um, offensive is not the word I'm looking for, but like on the offense um, character. Grotty says, you know, put the sauce on the side. If the sauce is not on the side, I'm going to send it back. I need this. He's, he's just being very demanding to the waitstaff, which is, like, not necessary. She seems to understand what he's saying. And Michael goes right back, and he's like, I'm going to have, um, oh, what does he say? Spaghetti with the side salad. Yeah. If it's on top, I will send it back. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> like, yes, that's understood. There's no need to say that. Um, of course, it's not going to be on top of your salad. It is a side salad. Not a pasta salad. Um, And he's just being unnecessarily, I don't know, macho, just to kind of balance Grotty a little bit. It's like he's trying to equate himself with Grotty in order to make himself an equal threat. And it just doesn't work. (laughs) And we see him do the same thing later 
uh, at towards the end of the episode, and we'll get to that um, later. So Michael has signed up for this insurance. He's given in to Grotti's threats as they are perceived, and he's bummed about it. And he goes to Oscar for advice. Oscar's the the resident smart guy on what to do with the insurance he bought. He says, you know, I recently purchased some insurance that based on my current salary, I cannot afford. What can I do accounting wise? And Oscar says, well, cancel it. Just call and don't buy the insurance. It's easy, easy fix. But uh, Michael is bummed out. You know, I can't do this. This is the mafia we're talking about. I've gone too far. I can't go back now. And Dwight is in the kitchen as well, out of sight, and feels sympathetic for Michael. He, he, he feels sorry for him. He goes to Andy and says, this is our fault. Look at his life. He's broke. He's living in fear. No friends. Dead-end job. Andy says, you know, that's not all my fault. <laughs> it's just the living in fear part that's new. And so they resolve to make it easier for Michael by convincing him that Grotti's not actually in the mob. So basically telling him the truth. <laughs> but uh, they don't know it's the truth. But they don't know it's the truth. Yeah, it's all kinds of backwards. And so Michael stands down the mob. At least he thinks he has, but not at the time. <laughs> um, it's, it's very um, in on itself. It's very, you know, A-B-A-B-A-B. Because mm-hmm. he's not in the mob. But everyone involved thinks he's in the mob, but he's not. So they convince Michael that he's just a regular salesman, which, of course, he is. So Michael gets this attitude with him, like, look, you, don't, you need to back off. I'm not interested. Cancel the contract. Which he may have acted if he knew all along that he wasn't in the mob. And then Andy and Dwight go back and say, ah, you stood down the mob. You're such a strong, macho dude. And he feels so good about himself. When, of course, he was just... Telling a salesman no. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it, it's a nice confidence boost for Michael, which he needs every once in a while. What I thought was really interesting was uh, he gets really pissed when they tell Michael that, that he's not mafia, that he's just a normal salesman, and that he was just trying to intimidate him, in, or that Grotti was trying to intimidate Michael in order to make the sale, to close the sale. And so Michael says, you know, I'm pissed because apparently Grotti's a liar now, even though Grotti never lied about anything. Michael just thinks he did. And it, again, it's all kinds of backwards. But Michael gets pissed because he's a liar. And he says, you know what? I, I wish the mafia would go and kill all the liars and then guess that they, they could just bury them in my yard. And I won't tell the police anything because, uh, well, I, I would just, I wouldn't tell the police anything and I wouldn't lie about it necessarily. I just would get real quiet all of a sudden. Now, I wanted to highlight this specifically because it does come into play later this season. Um, this is lying by omission. And it's a, an important character trait for Michael. And that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> Let's put a pin right there. Yeah. Of course, it should be mentioned again that Dwight is the initial flag waiver for Grotti, I believe. And he mentions Grotti's Southern Italian heritage. And for whatever reason, that raises some flags for Dwight. So that's yet another race thing with him. That pretty well covers the mafia side of the story. 
Yeah, the last bit of it would just be that after Michael thinks he has stood down the mob, he, as we alluded to earlier, thinks a little too highly of himself, tries to sort of equate himself to that status of being a mobster or part of the mafia himself. He lies about how he told Grady off. He says, you know, I looked him in the eye. He made this phone call. And yeah, he was kind of, I mean, he was bold. Uh, he, He said he was pretty intense about it. It was pretty cool, honestly. But he didn't look Grady in the eye. And he certainly wasn't standing down the mob. He starts bossing around Aaron uh, to get him some coffee. If, it, if it's not stop and shop, I send it back. I want a large. If it's a medium, I send it back. And then he adds, if it's an extra large, I send it back. He doesn't even want more than he asked for. He wants the exact amount. And that's pretty much the end of that. There's also a B storyline here, which I think is pretty good. Um, so Jim and Pam are, of course, on their honeymoon in Puerto Rico. Kevin has been spending some time in Jim's office while Jim's away. Initially, he goes in there just to pass some gas, um, but it turns out he really likes Jim's office and likes having a little room of his own, so now he hangs out there. He answers a phone call that comes to Jim's office, which, why? It's not your phone. Don't touch it. And it is Jim's bank. They have detected some unusual activity on his credit card. And they ask Kevin, or sorry, they ask Jim Halpert to verify his home address, which he does, the last four of his social, which he does. And by doing this, he verifies that Jim is not in Puerto Rico, which of course he is. So the bank puts a hold on Jim's credit card, effectively ruining his honeymoon. Now they cannot spend any money. I I think that this situation with Kevin and the, the bank representative would have been so easy to just clarify. Like the moment they mention, oh, it's very clear to see that you're not in Puerto Rico. Oh, by the way, I'm not Jim. I'm just, I I don't think it would have been a big deal. I mean, as Oscar does point out, this constitutes identity fraud. But I don't think in the moment if Kevin had said, whoa, hold up. I'm just in Jim's office right now. I use this piece of mail to verify because I thought his card was in trouble. Sorry, my bad. Don't cancel their card. I think that would have been really easy. Maybe I, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although I do want to say that the line "I think we should let the criminals use the card a little bit longer" is a great <laughs> one. That's great, yeah. but it's still unnecessary. I think it would have been so easy to to resolve. And then when he calls him again at the end of the episode, you know, what was he expecting to happen? <laughs> was he going to tell the truth? Because it, it seems like all he really wanted to do was make sure they did didn't suspect that it was his fault that the cards were canceled. Yeah. Um, really, he could have gotten out of that in a number of ways at the beginning of the call, at the end of the call. Um, not taking the call? Not taking the call <laughs> to begin with, not being in an office that's not his. There's a number of ways this could have gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but he was not the only one that called Oscar feels like he needs to be the voice of reason in this episode. He says that Jim and Pam are on their honeymoon, so there's not the usual balance between sane and others. I like that. Um, <laughs> he says Toby, who is normally of the sane party, has checked out since June. Oscar says I checked out? Huh. <laughs> huh. Um, he says it's a very dangerous time and that the coalition for reason is very weak. So he calls Jim and Pam on their honeymoon to ask them what they would do in this mafia situation. It's not your problem and don't bother them. Like... It's funny to me that you introduced this as Oscar being the voice of reason because this is like the most 
illogical, unreasonable thing we've seen Oscar do. Like, this is a pretty small, insignificant thing. It's not a big deal, really. I mean, especially, especially when given... Oscar knows that this guy is not in the mob. Like, it's not a big deal. Yep. Many worse things have happened when it was just Michael. And that was the only caveat I wanted to give Oscar, or the only like sort of redemption, is that maybe that's why. Because there's someone else to tell now, because Michael doesn't mm-hmm. have the soul power. But even yep. then, it's pretty irrational for someone like Oscar. Yeah. Um, and then we get a deleted scene additional uh, call that happens, but we'll get to that in a moment. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and move on to the funny moments. Uh, how about the cold open? <laughs> yeah, so um, this is the fundamentals of business cold open. Um, Michael is holding a conference room meeting. He uh, has underlined the word mental because it's you would be mental to not have a good time. Toby says, but, but fun is in it. Uh, fundamentals. Michael tells him to leave, but it's too late. Toby's already walking out the door. He says, I know, I know. <laughs> Gotta leave. Just for pointing out the obvious. Obvious. Michael then exclaims that he could write a book with what his employees don't know about the business. Ryan then almost threateningly says, then do it. Write a book. Yeah. So Michael tries. He starts. He says, chapter one, the businessman. <laughs> And that's as far as he's gotten. <laughs> well, you forgot, like, him writing the book, he says, over one billion sold. More than the yeah. Bible. I'm not surprised. <laughs> Before he's written it, it sold a billion copies. How about that? Most Impressive. successful writer of all time. <laughs> just uh, the uh, title. So. <laughs> a, a couple small things from that cold open that I just wanted to point out. When Michael asks for small talk topics, because that's one of the things he's written on the board is small talk uh, as a fundamental of business, Andy gives competent answers he says golf the stock market dave matthews even though all of those things appeal to a very small percentage of people that didn't uh or that i mean it's andy's upbringing it's very different than most other people especially among the office so not the best but they're competent answers creed suggests talking about small things like peas or ball bearings or dimes (laughs) and then meredith suggests the weekend and so Michael tries to like simulate a small talk conversation with her. And she talks about how her son was like taking a dump on the toilet seat. He calls it an upper decker. And Michael's like, nope, nope, nope. Stop. Forever stop that. And then he goes into the talking about the, the book that he wants to write. Which makes me laugh because that conversation with Michael and Meredith, if that was un- untitled, if I was reading that and I didn't know who was saying what, I would have pegged Michael as the storyteller there. Like, <laughs> and the fact that he told her to stop that story is is funny because I feel like that would have been right up his his humor alley. Yeah, you'd think. Uh, I love the quote at the very beginning of the episode. It's a talking head for Michael when he's first talking with Grotti. He says, there is nothing more insulting to a great salesman than having to listen to a bad salesman. It, it, it's like a great basketball player having to listen to a bad basketball player. <laughs> or <laughs> because even your watch. Skill, <laughs> because your skill in basketball is dictated by uh, your speaking. Yeah. Um, they're talking, of course, about Grotti here. Andy says that, mo- uh, that mobsters are a real threat. 
Michael argues that there's no such thing as monsters. <laughs> yep. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. He's not wrong, <laughs> to be fair. There's a joke that I caught this time that took like a few seconds of stewing in my brain. And then I laughed out loud after those few seconds of stewing. Uh, Andy, after after Grotty has left, Andy says, what happened in there? Michael says, nothing. Other than once again, I am happy that I am a paper salesman. <laughs> and the, the implication is that he seems to think it's easier to sell paper at a company that has been having financial problems for years than to sell something that literally everyone needs insurance. Yep. I, I mean, I maybe I found it that... funnier than most people, but <laughs> it made me laugh a lot. I took that as some slight against insurance salesmen. Like he has his beef with HR people. He has mm-hmm. beef with insurance salesmen. I don't know. Yeah. Like, oh, at least I don't work in HR, you know? Right. <laughs> I <don't> yeah. Know. <laughs> Both work. Andy and Dwight and Oscar are arguing over the semantics of um, what it takes to be a mobster. Andy argues that, well, Grotty drives an SUV. Dwight says, I knew it, more trunk space, or should I say corpse space? Oscar says, well, I drive an SUV, does that mean I'm in the mob? <laughs> and Dwight says, no, not, not that by itself, but look at the facts. He seems like a mobster. <laughs> <laughs> the facts. He seems facts. like a mobster. <laughs> <laughs> look at the facts. This opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Michael trying to order the gabagool is a very small scene. Um, to it's like he's trying to again impress Grotty some way. Uh, gabagool, for those who do not know, is a slang term actually for a meat called capacolo, which is a traditional Italian and Corsican pork cold cut. Thank you, Wikipedia. Um, and it, it's sort of a term. It, it's been around for a long time, obviously, but it was really popularized in the TV show The Sopranos because it was used in there. So, which makes sense why Michael would say that because obviously he probably watched The Sopranos. There it is. The Gabagool. Yeah. That was my first office trivia team name, The Gabagools. Mm, there you go. And I did not know that that was an actual thing. I thought he just made up the most Italian sounding where he could. <laughs> uh, to be fair. <laughs> there is the fairly famous um, R being the most menacing of sounds. Um, Andy is, sorry, Oscar is arguing that um, no mobster would change his name from Gotti to Grotti because it weakens the impact of the name. Dwight says he disagrees because R is the most menacing of the sounds. That's why they call it murder and not muckduck. <laughs> uh, uh, sorry, that one always makes me laugh. <laughs> I, after the, the lunch when Michael has bought or signed the insurance policy, Dwight says, I don't understand. Why would you buy a policy? And Michael says, it's just the cost of a cup of coffee an hour. <laughs> that's, that's pretty expensive. It's pretty bad. Pretty, pretty expensive. Especially if you're talking like Starbucks, that's like yeah, if you're going four out. bucks a, co- a cup. No. Ugh. This one I don't want to get too much into, but it is funny. Oscar reprimands Kevin for canceling Jim's credit cards and tells him that that constitutes identity fraud. Kevin says he won't last in jail because I'm not like you, Oscar. Oscar says, what's that supposed to mean? Kevin, oh, you would love jail. You don't know about jail? Oscar says, well, why would I love jail? Kevin doesn't want to go into it either, but he insists. You would love it. You would love jail. (laughs) (laughs) Michael made the the same 
sort of stereotype back in the convict when he was talking to Ryan about being da bella da ball and warning him not to bend over or pick up the soap. I don't remember yeah. exactly what phrase he used, but he made the same insinuation. Yeah. He said, uh, don't drop the soap. Don't drop the soap. Yeah. 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 I, I thought it was really funny when Andy makes the reference to the Godfather. He says, when you snitch on the mafia, you wake up with a horse's severed head in the bed with you. And Dwight just sort of looks at the camera and he's like, no, that's just an exaggeration. I, I just thought it was so funny that Dwight was the one pointing out exaggerations of all people in the office. It's Dwight. Uh, because this is like for once, this is an Andy fantasy more than a Dwight fantasy in a lot of ways, I think. And maybe the last one for me, which how did we not mention this? Um, this whole lunch, Andy was dressed in a mechanics outfit um, for <laughs> some reason. I still don't quite understand why. Maybe just to throw Grotty off his tracks or to. I don't know. But while they were at lunch, he was in a mechanics, like a, a car mechanics uniform. And he gets asked by a woman to help jumpstart her car. He doesn't know the first thing about cars, to be clear. Um, even the kid says that Andy seems to be bad at this. He causes huge sparks and smoke in the car, and then he says that the car is totaled, and then he runs away. <laughs> uh, yeah, a, a couple of highlights from that part when he tries to hide his tire iron <laughs> on the table under these like super thin paper napkins, like the like the kind that you get from uh, silverware packages. Yeah. you know, like the plasticware and. It's like, this it's is like ridiculous. Paper. Yeah. yeah. And then another, when uh, the kid is talking to him and he's he's having a rough time, he says, sorry, just had a kind of a long day at the mechanic store. <laughs> <laughs> the mechanic store. Any other word? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I have just a, a couple small ones. One of them is the fact that Kevin uh, brought his M&M jar into Jim's office. I just thought it was important enough to him that he has that <laughs> on hand and he's snacking on it at the end of the episode. So good call, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and then there was one more conversation. It's between Dwight and Andy when they're talking about, uh, they're about to talk about convincing Michael that Grotty's not mafia so that he stands him down. And so Dwight says, what if Michael felt no fear toward the mafia guy? Andy says, are you saying, Dwight says, yeah. And he says that we surgically remove the fear center from Michael's brain. <laughs> Dwight, what is wrong with you? I'm talking about convincing Michael that the guy is not mafia. And that's when Andy says, that seems a little far-fetched. <laughs> <laughs> and to, to the, the icing on the cake is when Dwight says, well, more far-fetched than a mobster walking into a paper company for a low-level shakedown. And that happened. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could have used that quote as my plot summary for this episode. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they just tied that together for you. <laughs> now, going into deleted scenes, I thought this was the most interesting set of deleted scenes we've ever gotten because they were all the same subplot. Like, they just took a yeah. subplot and completely cut it out, and that's it. It really kind of is one deleted scene. I think there are yeah. maybe five cuts, five... Uh -huh individual scenes but it's a whole c, c storyline mm -hmm. um that i quite like but that yeah. they just took out so it starts with aaron talking to stanley and meredith uh, about all of pam's time off she's kind of just making small talk but she says wow pam has really been away huh first for her honeymoon and then after that she'll take some time off for maternity leave stanley scolds her for backstabbing a pregnant woman and trying to get her in trouble 
Aaron says, I was just making conversation. We could talk about anything. Meredith, I saw your son's tag on the bridge. He's so great with a spray can. <laughs> Don't go there. Um, <laughs> Meredith says that Aaron will never be Pam, and they'll always like Pam more, and Aaron should just deal with it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. She, she just outright like throws it in her face. Erin <laughs> uh, then goes on to explain that people in the office seem to think she has some sort of beef with Pam. Uh, presumably because she had the reception job before she did. But she says, I don't have a beef with anyone. I like literally everyone I've ever met. And to prove it, she starts cleaning Pam's desk and uh, her painting, the one that of the office that's hanging outside of Michael's office. And she only sprays the, the picture frame until Creed shows up and interrupts. And he's like, why are you cleaning Pam's stuff? And she says, well, friends clean each other's stuff. And he says, are we friends? And he says, I, I hope so. And uh, then Creed asks, well, will you, will you clean my car? But then he reveals he still has to get a car before she can clean it. So anyways, while he's interrupting her, the liquid cleaner that she has sprayed onto the picture frame starts seeping behind the glass. So the, the painting that we first saw back in business school uh, is now ruined. <laughs> which holds some pretty significant sentimental value because it's of the office and it's Pam's art and we like that painting. So then Aaron gets Kelly to fix Pam's art. Aaron says she'll do anything for Kelly um, because of this favor. So Kelly asks for Aaron's necklace, the necklace that happens to have instructions on what to do when Aaron has seizures. Um, but Kelly's not having it. She says that's what friends do. So Aaron gives her the necklace, but it turns out that Kelly didn't actually fix Pam's art. She just added a rainbow and the sun and made it prettier, in her opinion, than what Pam had done. But Kelly keeps a necklace anyway. Yeah. So I guess we know now that uh, Aaron's sort of sickly, or at least she used to be. Uh, yeah. If, she's ha if she has seizures enough to warrant having the necklace with instructions. Maybe that's because she was born at five months or whatever it was. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. Hey, flashbacks. <laughs> uh, so to end the deleted scenes and the subplot, Aaron calls Pam. So there's the other person to call Pam and Jim on their honeymoon. Uh, and she calls to apologize. She says, I, I ruined your painting and I'm so sorry I ruined your painting. Pam says, you know what? I'll be angry about that later, but not right now because I'm on my honeymoon in Puerto Rico. <laughs> and stop calling us and tell everybody else to stop calling us. And Aaron says, wow, you're so awesome. I want to take you out to lunch and I want to pick your brain about the job. It's reception <laughs> when she gets back. And of course, as Jim and Pam did every other time they were called in this episode, it's a hang up at the end of that sentence. Just like, no, I am not interested. There's no goodbye from me. You were calling me on my honeymoon. Hang up. Click. There it goes. And there's one more little bit I wanted to mention that happened. Um maybe the second cut of this deleted scene, Toby approaches Aaron at reception and asks her not to ask about other people's employees or ask about other employees' vacation days. Um, and he gets really onto her about that. And when she starts to defend herself, he starts almost yelling at her. I think this is just because it's Pam and uh, yeah. don't mess with Pam. <laughs> yeah, I think so as well. What is our discussion topic for this episode? So Dwight says to Andy about Michael's job that he's got a dead-end job and he's dead inside. Um, harsh words from Dwight, who claims to be Michael's best friend. Doesn't he want Michael's job and 
doesn't he just adore the ground that Michael works on? Walks on? Oops, that actually was a Freudian slip, but that worked out nicely. Um, <laughs> why, why would he say that? Um, I, I think that Dwight sees himself in Michael's job eventually because... Well, I mean, it wouldn't be a dead-end job for Dwight because Dwight has potential, whereas Michael is stagnant, at least the view that Dwight has of the situation. And that's why he assesses it this way and why Andy agrees with him. Uh, I, um, it's sad that Michael's employees are so aware of what Michael's like personal life is like and that they just sort of throw this info out so flippantly. It's not to say that they don't care, but it, it's so passive the way they just are like, the only thing that's new is the living in fear part. So let me see your question one more time so I can make sure I answered it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think as far as him wanting Michael's job, yeah, but in Dwight's hands, it would not be a dead end job. Does that make sense? Right, yeah. And Michael is dead inside because it is a dead-end job for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Dwight, we've, we've heard him say in the, in the past that he loves Michael and he loves Michael's friendship, but he doesn't want Michael's life. Mm-hmm. He loves his farm. And like when, when uh, Michael offered to lease the second room out on his condo, um, Dwight said, thanks, but no thanks. I've got a great farm. I've got a great life. Like, I want to go home to that. So he definitely values, Dwight definitely values his own um, situation a lot. He he has a good life for himself. Uh, it's a weird life, but it's Dwight's life. So that makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Let's go on to our second episode. It is The Lover. It aired on October 22nd of 2009, was directed by Lee Eisenberg, but I think that also means it was co-directed by Gene Stepnitsky, because didn't we have an earlier episode, like last season, that was directed Mm -hmm. by Gene Stepnitsky, but then they revealed in the commentary it was co-directed, but they can only give one credit, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it was also written by the pair of them, by Lee Eisenberg and Gene Stepnitsky. So. Probably a, a joint effort on both ends. Yeah. Pam and Jim are back from their honeymoon and things are great. Until Jim learns that Michael has started dating Helene, Pam's mom. He hides this information from Pam, hoping to find a way to get Michael to end it. But Michael ends up telling Pam. They spend the rest of the day in a heated argument. Meanwhile, Dwight has planted a listening device in Jim's office. Jim finds out early on and has fun pranking Dwight throughout the day. So the, the cat is out of the bag. And it's not like it was discovered. It was Michael just straight up, unprovoked, not seeing why it's a big deal, tells Jim about, about sleeping with Helene. And Jim doesn't believe it at first. He thinks it's a joke. But as soon as Michael is able to say what she drives, what car does she drive, Jim like immediately curses. Like, oh, snap. This is real. And I don't know how to process this information. Yeah, Jim freaks out. He begs Michael never to tell Pam and to immediately break up with Helene. Maybe if we just shove this under the rug, nobody has to know. Um, Michael says that'll be hard since he and Helene are planning on telling Pam at dinner tomorrow night. Apparently, the four of them were going to go out to dinner. Um, after some pleading, though, Michael changes the reservation from four to two. 
upon hearing, though, um, Pam happens to be in the room when this confirmation occurs. She says, wow, you're going out to dinner. Sounds like you have a date. And she keeps pressing and she wants to know who it is. So he tells her that it's the mother of a coworker. Who is it? Oh my gosh, drama. And he just stares at her <laughs> until she realizes that it's her own mother. It's okay. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. So Michael doesn't get it. He thinks that more than anything, Pam just wants him to be happy. Jim counters, not more than anything. <laughs> like, not more than you not dating her mom. And Michael, originally with Jim, promises, okay, I, I agree. I just want Pam to be happy. The last thing I want is to hurt Pam. And so he, he seems like he's, okay, I get it. I'm going to cut this off. I'm going to end it before it pro- progresses any further. But then when that opportunity arises to sort of sneakily get Pam's permission without telling her all the details so that he can then justify it afterwards, he takes that opportunity. As soon as that opportunity presents itself, he takes it. And he just gives her this like knowing look. And then there's this dawn of realization on her face. It's, it's so awful. I feel so badly for her. But... I also think she totally overreacts in this episode. Yeah, I was going to ask what you thought about that. Is she overreacting? Is it that bad? I mean, yes, it's that bad, (laughs) to be honest. But no, she's still in an office. It's She's married to one of her bosses and the other boss she's had a long history with. I think it's a combination of a few things. She's got a lot going on in her life right now. She's married. She's pregnant. Her parents recently divorced. She even tells Michael, you're just a rebound. Like, this is just temporary. She's just using you to get over my dad. Um, So I feel like it's a lot. Oh, and it's Michael. It's not as if she's dating someone, you know, normal. (laughs) I hate to use that word, but yeah. So I get that it's a lot, but the screaming and the, you know. It's childish. it's childish. It. I would be pissed, don't get me wrong, and I would have a hard time holding it together, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, screaming at the top of her lungs, both in and outside of the office, heckling Michael during his conference room meeting later, it's all too much. And I mean, I, I get it. I, re- I really do get it. But mm-hmm. I also think that Pam is smart enough to see that this is her mom's rebound. Like, it's a rebound. and. It's, be- it's, it's after seeing her dad with the younger woman at the wedding. You know, we saw how miserable yeah. that made her. And this was just a reaction to that. This is her response to that. So, yeah. like, I think Pam is smart enough to know, yeah, this kind of sucks. It's kind of weird. But it's not going to last. I mean, there's no way it's going to last. And I don't even feel like that's a spoiler. That's, it's pretty clear that this isn't going to happen. I, I really don't. So, I mean... Even if it was, even if this did last, I mean, is it really so bad for her mom to end up with Michael? Now, Michael should have handled this differently, but I mean, we've seen Michael be a father figure for her on more than one occasion. Speaking of business school, uh, at the art show, there was that. There was the whole Michael Scott Paper Company arc where he was very supportive of her and they worked together very closely and accomplished a lot. 
I don't think it would have been the worst thing. And if it had been any other woman that Michael was with, except maybe Jan, she would have genuinely be happy, been happy for him and not sad for her at the same time. Mm. So I, I think she's being unfair, but I think Michael obviously could have approached it differently also. Although speaking of father figure, um, he does something that just irks me if I was in this situation <laughs> where um, he starts acting like her father, um, not specifically Pam's dad, but as a father figure, he starts saying, um, Pamela Morgan Beasley, you need to apologize to your mother right away. That's not her name anymore. No, it's not. First of all, <laughs> Pamela Morgan Halpert, Beasley Halpert. Um, but that's not his place. He keeps calling her his baby. No one talks to my baby this way. He calls her pickle. Like it's just they're they're in, you know, new relationship grossness. And he's treating Pam like, you know, the daughter or the stepdaughter, like she's five and has done something bad and needs to go to her room. And it's just No, that's not your job. You're still newly dating this woman and she's still your employee and she's a married woman. And this is the middle of the office. Yes. Like they are in a business meeting or a conference room meeting when he starts confronting her about this. And he, well, one, he picks up his cell phone during the middle of a business or a conference room meeting that he's leading. That's wrong. But then two, to answer it the way he does and then to then immediately turn it on Pam in front of everybody. Everybody is in the wrong. (laughs) When I say everybody, Pam and Michael are both in the wrong here. Um, and probably Helene too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, <laughs> she's just not present, so I wasn't going to throw the blame. But you're right. Uh, and I mean, Pam's rage is such that she even gets mad at Jim for knowing about this for like ten minutes longer than her. Though to be fair, she doesn't know the timeline. But still, as soon as she finds out that finds out that he knew first, she's pissed at him too. Michael should have talked to Pam or gotten her permission in some form before pursuing this any further than maybe that first night like i get it things happen you have impulses but after that ask like that would be but it would have been such an easy way to diffuse this so early on ask communicate that would have been an appropriate thing to call pam and jim about on their honeymoon yeah Yeah. (laughs) but michael seems to really want to make this in his own weird way he wants to make it right um, he even fakes a polite conversation with Toby to get him <laughs> to get Toby to talk to Pam. He even hugs him. He says, you're a good, good guy. Of course, he gives a disgusted look to the camera like, don't worry, I still hate his guts. Um, but he really wants Pam to be OK with this. He seems to be enjoying Helene's company for now. Um, again, I say for now because I don't think anyone, even first time viewers of The Office, expect this to last. Mm-hmm. But. It's, what are you going to do? I mean, she's rebounding and he, he's, he's a woman that is interested in him. So he's going to go for her because that's Michael. Mm-hmm. There's a moment when Michael offers to Pam to stop dating her mother, not because he means it, but because he thinks she'll concede just because he offered to stop. Like, oh, he's willing to stop. Okay, you can date her. Like, that's going to make it magically okay. But no such luck. 
uh, and he says, you know what? I'm going to start dating her even harder. What does that mean? You, I think you know what that means. <laughs> it's awful, and everybody's angry at each other, and Michael leaves early, I guess, to, to go on this dinner date with Helene. And there's this very tiny moment at the very end where after leaving the office, he starts to turn back before getting on the elevator. This is something that's sort of glimpsed in the camera through the glass. And it looks like he's going, well, he does turn around and he's apologetic looking. And you think, oh, he's going to go apologize. He's going to say something to make this better. And I desperately wish he had because of how special their relationship is. But, oh, well, it's it's ended at the end of the episode with them. The, the tension is still high between Michael and Pam. More on that in uh, later episodes. Mm-hmm. We also get that listening device plot line. So Michael, nope. So Dwight wants to formally congratulate Jim on his promotion, which is really out of character, you know? So he gives Jim a wooden duck or, you know, mallard, um, as, mallard. as Dwight is uh, emphatic on, on it being called. It is a mallard, um, which, of course, has a recording device in it. Um, I love this line as he drops it off. He says, I'm sorry to have been bugging you all of these years. Uh, of course, he is bugging him now, literally. So, of course, Jim has some fun with Dwight uh, as soon as he finds out that there is a recording device in the Mallard. Yeah, he calls Andy into his office and he plays some really loud opera music. And uh, to Andy is asking, hey, should I gift this opera to Dwight for his birthday? And Dwight can't hear any of this, and he can't read lips, but he can see them through the office gesturing towards him. Uh, so Dwight thinks something's going on, but that, that's the first way that Jim messes with Dwight. Later, he gives the duck, or mallard, to Kelly uh, as a gift to her. And so all of a sudden, Dwight starts hearing conversation from Kelly and Ryan, which is the last thing I think anybody wants to hear is conversation between those two. And so Dwight goes and he takes it back, gifts, uh, Ryan convinces him to pay $10 for it. And so he takes it back and puts it back in Jim's office. And at the end of the day, uh, Jim returns to find the duck, I mean, uh, Mallard, on his desk again. <laughs> and he just quietly says, so uh, the, the Mallard's back, huh? And Dwight responds, not thinking. <laughs> and so... He calls Dwight into the office and says, I won't tell Michael, but you will wash and buff our car. (laughs) And I just love Dwight's response. Punishment fits the crime. I accept. (laughs) It was kind of sweet. So Jim and Pam are kind of reconciled by the end of the day. They're standing in Jim's office and Jim points down to the car and says, look, Dwight knew you were having such a rough day, so he volunteered to wash your car for you just to make you feel better. Of course, that's not what happened, but um, a nice gesture to uh, help Pam's horrible day. I wanted to ask, what information does Dwight hope to gain from this? And does he really intend to listen through eight hours of recording material every day so that he can find the tiniest of potential nuggets 
of potentially destructive <laughs> information. And even that's doubtful. Like, really? Yeah. Really? That, that would take his entire workday to listen to an entire workday. That's all he would do, mm-hmm. is just listen to yesterday's recording. Um, I don't know what he's looking for. Um, I've thought about that myself. But, of course, there's an, an important uh, nugget missing here where the Mallard was not the primary listening device. In fact, Dwight, when he originally gifted the, the Mallard to Jim, said, stop leaving your pens on my desk. And he put a pen on, on Jim's desk. Uh, which was the real recording device. So by making the obvious recording device known, obviously, Jim thought he was safe and didn't have another recording device in his office. So Dwight, se- Dwight sneaks into the office and um, listens through the pen, which he's taking notes when he's doing this on Jim's conversation, which is just about the paper that they sell. It's, it's just boring shop talk. Um, so I don't know what he's looking for. But I assume that he will go to every depth to get Jim out of office, as it were. Of course I wanted Jim to find the Mallard, make him feel safe. Did you really think I would put my primary listening device in a wooden Mallard? I'm not insane. And then he continues to push play on an eight-hour recording of Jim talking work. So I, I love that he has that like talking head, and he's completely unblinking. He's just... <laughs> creepily staring at the guy and he acts like he's going to sit in jim's office for the whole night listening to this so he just worked for eight hours and now he's going to listen to work for eight hours yeah i mean i guess it's the same as podcasting we podcast for an hour <laughs> and then i listen to a podcast for an hour whatever <laughs> whatever it is editing it yeah yeah uh last character thing i wanted to mention is just like this weird side plot with aaron uh she seems to heavily answer to michael to the point that when Pam brings some Puerto Rican candy called Coco Leche to the reception desk to share with everybody, Aaron says, I love Coco Leche. That sounds great. But let me ask for Michael's permission first. And in the meantime, take this back to your desk. I'm not going to put it up here with Michael's permission. So later she gets Michael's permission, says, Pam, we're all clear. And it's real awkward. Pam's like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why this is a big deal. It shouldn't be because it's not. Uh, But also she's like handling Michael's dinner reservations. And so she seems more like a personal assistant than a receptionist at this point. And more like a personal assistant than Pam ever was. Pam never would have answered to Michael in this way. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, And I had that same thought that like, this isn't receptionist duties. This is PA. Yeah. It's. Um, funny moments. Now, I'll be honest, I didn't have a ton on this episode. Um, in fact, very few. We even said some of them already. Um, Frank and Beans. Frank and Beans. There was a request uh, from a listener that we say that. So Amy. there you are. There you go. Amy. Frank and Beans. Um, <laughs> I would love to know the story behind Frank and Beans, but we don't get it. So no. I, well, I mean, the names are what Frank and Benny. I think. So Benny, it would just be yeah. Frank and Beans is the ben nickname for Benny. Beans, but. yeah. Yeah. I'd, just the voice. I, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's got to be something. <laughs> S- something there. Uh, but as far as funny moments go, um, there's one right off the bat with Kelly. She's asking how Puerto Rico was. Was it so romantic? And Jim and Pam say, yeah, yeah, it really was. And Kelly just, her face 
the smile just leaves her eyes and she says, I'm so happy for you. Yeah, it's like her voice breaks and she's so de- so dejected. Oh. I want that. She just like puddles. <laughs> um, now, Michael, at the very start, I-, I can't tell if he's being legitimately funny or just really dumb with his blind guy McSqueezy gag. And here's the dilemma. So he's wearing sunglasses and pretending to be blind, right? So is he actually wearing heavily tinted sunglasses so that he can't see and therefore is actually blind? And so he makes the actual mistake of thinking Jim was Pam and vice versa when he reaches out and grabs at Jim's chest thinking it's Pam. You know what I mean? Or Mm -hmm. is he being like actually funny? By pretending to be blind and then switching them. I think it's the second, though, I don't know. This joke, I, I, when I was watching this, I was like, this would not be aired today. <laughs> no, 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 no. It absolutely would not. I think it was the second. I think he was just wearing dark sunglasses that he could totally see out of um, and just mix them up on purpose. Because, I mean, Jim is very right. tall. Um, <laughs> it would be difficult to confuse the two. Yeah, I would think so, too. And I think Michael would understand the consequences of grabbing somebody's, a woman's chest in the workplace. I would think. I hope so. I hope. I hope so. <laughs> so in that, in that case, I mean, I think that's pretty funny of Michael. Yeah. It, it's a good joke. Like, good on him for actually doing something I would consider pretty funny is this switching them up. But then he does the whole, um, the women in my improv class hate this. Mm, and yeah. so, I mean, obviously he's does done he it know before. The line? <laughs> so. Anyways, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, just after Michael has told Jim about Helene, Toby walks through the break room and says, hey, guys, what's up? And in um, managerial fashion, it is fashion to hate HR. Um, Jim kind of freaks out on Toby, says, not now, Toby, my God. <laughs> um, and Toby is like, he just... Michael's screaming at him, too. He says, get the hell out of here, idiot. And Toby just says, what did I do? (laughs) It's kind of like, this is only funny when considered as part of the pantheon of hateful responses to Toby. But it actually is kind of like, it kind of stings coming from Jim because they've been friendly in the past. Uh, They, I remember at one point Jim revealed, I think it might've been a deleted scene. Jim revealed that they sat together at some point in time. Mm -hmm. And so they were friendly. I think Jim used to babysit Sasha. Yeah. And so it kind of hurts for Jim to be so hateful to Toby all of a sudden. And I, it's just, it begs the question, is this a consequence of becoming a manager? Do you just automatically yeah. become inclined to hate Toby? <laughs> it's in your blood now. It's just a, a funny, like, not all that funny thing. But when Michael first reveals to Pam that he's dating her mother... And she says, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, no, 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 and walks out screaming. He says, that could have gone one of two ways, but I never expected her to get upset. Wow, are you oblivious. Wow, are you oblivious. Of course she was going to get upset. Even if she didn't freak out, she was going to be, at the very least, heavily bummed. Like, yeah. <laughs> at the very least. Um. It's a little thing, but when Pam is disruptive in the meeting, in the conference room meeting, and she starts yelling, no more meetings, um, 
The only person that seems into it is Stanley, who has been vocal about his, or rather not vocal, but lots of eye rolls, um, with his dislike for conference room meetings in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he's like chanting along with her in the background, <laughs> fist pumping. His it's pencil. Awesome. <laughs> Michael also says to Pam while they're fighting, you're just as stubborn as your mother. When you don't want to do something, you just don't do it. I just wrote, gross. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this somewhere falls between funny moments and character moments but we get a first look at the ryan that we have for the foreseeable future if that makes sense we get a few ryans in this series and this is this is a new ryan um fedora wearing ryan hipster ryan people keep asking him where he got his hat and he is the kind of guy that says i'd rather not say <laughs> i think we all know those people yeah Fedora people or <laughs> people who are like, oh, I don't tell you where I buy my clothes because right. you're going to go buy them. Like, no, there it's I the only person who might is Kelly. So that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> I would get that. Um, but yeah, we have we have a new Ryan for the time being. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene where Dwight is giving Michael, quote, the chills. And it's the whole. <laughs> There's an egg on your head and the yolk is gushing down, blah, blah, blah. And then there's the blood. There's the knife in your back and the blood is gushing down and the blood is gushing down. And in the middle of this, uh, Michael reveals that he's been sleeping with Pam's mom. And Dwight continues, the blood is gushing down, the blood is, (laughs) which is ominous. But then he says, you know, I wish I really would have appreciated a heads up that you were into dating mothers. I would have introduced you to mine. Somehow, I don't think Michael would have found Dwight's mother as appealing. As attractive. No. That chills bit always made me laugh because I remember doing that in elementary school or whatever mm-hmm. it was. It was just a long time ago. Yeah, but I don't ever remember the whole blood is gushing down thing. I think that's a, oh, that's a Dwight. That. Really? Yeah, that was, one, that was in ours. <laughs> oh, I always did like, I, I remember the eggs. Like you'd, you'd pretend to crack an egg on somebody's head and then... It dripped down, but I don't remember the whole knife in your back, blood gushing down. That seems like, that's intense. (laughs) I mean, maybe I'm projecting that onto my childhood (laughs) from the office, but I thought we had that. I don't know. Maybe. Something, something like that. Anyway, a couple more small ones for me. Dwight is trying to get his, his uh, mallard back from Kelly, who was gifted it from Jim. That was a convoluted sentence, but you know what I'm saying. Um, so Dwight offers uh, five bucks for it. Ryan says 20 bucks. They agree on $10, so they exchange. Um, he hands Kelly the duck, and she's looking all happy um, because her hero won the duck back. And Ryan says, oh, that reminds me, you owe me $3 for gas. Uh, let's, re- let's remember that Ryan kept the $10 for the mallard uh, just as a fee. And who charges somebody $3 for gas? <laughs> it's just such a skeevy, like, come on. Was it 70? I thought it was just $3. What did I say? 73? Oh, no, three. Yeah, three. yeah, yeah. Okay. I, yeah. Maybe, maybe I misspoke. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I misheard. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Couple of small things for me. I'll just get out all at once. Um, Dwight says volunteerism is important. They're They're trying to promote reaching out into the community more as a company. Dwight says, volunteerism is important. I volunteer at the animal shelter every weekend. And you're like, oh man, that's nice. Dwight just likes some dogs and cats. 
And then he says, I had to put down more than 150 pets all by myself last time. So Dwight is euthanizing pets in his volunteer time. So there's that small moment when uh, Jim first decides to mess with Dwight via the uh, duck. I mean, Mallard. Uh, He holds up the sign saying that Dwight picked the wrong day to put a wooden duck mallard in his office and he does this like menacing lunge at the duck it's just a small motion but it always makes me laugh he's like mm, yeah i'm being antagonistic <laughs> towards your you duck you dwight uh <laughs> and when andy calls jim tuna boss tuna boss that's that's his new nickname it's not just tuna it's not big tuna it's tuna boss i thought it was boss tuna i as in big tuna let's see I'm looking at office quotes. Tuna. He says, tuna boss. Tuna boss. Oh, yeah. just kidding. They're sure thing tuna boss. Oh, well, I think boss tuna would have made, made more sense because it's like big tuna, but yeah, that's fine. I think you're right. That's fine, but... Andy. No one asked me. <laughs> Last one. When Jim is pranking Dwight and playing the opera music really loud. Uh, we see a cut of Creed, who's just like all of a sudden overcome with emotion, like listening to this opera music. He starts crying, he puts his hand over his mouth. It's, it's so emotional. It's so touching. <laughs> now, because we do this most of the time, um, the music is from an opera called Martha Oder der Markt zu Richmond. Or Richmond. Uh, my German's not the best, but there it is. <laughs> um, and it's by a composer named Friedrich von flotau so it's not somebody who's like common which i thought was yeah yeah. i thought it was really interesting because they could have gone with someone more well-known but then that also feeds into the joke where andy says you need to pick dwight out a better aria than this so andy would be insinuating go with a bigger name go with a more popular tune so that's funny (laughs) and now that i'm thinking about it uh when helene calls uh michael his ringtone is different for the first time. It's Push It by Salt and Peppa. Huh. Pretty sure. Yes, it is. I think I think that's right. It's definitely Cause we've heard My Humps in the past. We've heard Mambo yeah. number five in the past. I think those might be the only two at this point. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure this is the first time we've heard Push It by Salt and Peppa. Deleted scenes. Aaron is unsure about how announcements work regarding reception desk candy. So she sent out an email about Pam and Jim's Coco Leche, but no one responded. Because no one responded, she announces to the office that there's candy up front. No one responds. Pam tells her that, hey, you don't need to announce or send emails. Just leave it there and Kevin will eat it. <laughs> Kevin's, <laughs> Kevin comes up and takes a handful and Aaron stands up to make another announcement. They're going fast. <laughs> she's trying so hard. Yeah. I think she's adorable. She's just, she is. She really wants to do this well. <laughs> but reception does not <laughs> require this much effort. No. <laughs> not to demean the position. It just doesn't take that much effort. Not, not as not much as she's putting in. the effort that she's putting into yeah. it. Yeah. Like, put it in other places. Yeah. Pam did a great job of putting in a lot of effort elsewhere to the job. This is not the job. No. Um, Michael has a conversation with Helene on the phone in his office. He says, I've got something that belongs to you. You left it in my condo the other night and you hold it. He's holding it. 
and you don't get a really good glimpse at it, but it, it's cloth. And so you're like, oh, he's got some underwear and he's just being gross about it. But then he like moves his hands apart and he's holding a pair of socks. And you're like, wow, that's a lot less naughty than I expected it to be. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, what is he, he says, what are, you, what are you willing to do for it? Oh, you're nasty. It, it sucks. And he's like, I want to put them on your feet. And he puts them. Now they're on my hands. <laughs> it's so like strange. You you'd think it'd be one thing, but it's it's it sucks. And he smells them, and, and he's she's smelling like, them. yeah. She says that's gross. I don't think it's gross. It, it, I like it. Whatever. Yeah, a big overreaction scene with Pam. She goes into the parking lot and screams at the top of her lungs. Uh, we cut to Michael in his office. He says, I know exactly how Pam feels right now. I've dated a, lo- I've dated a lot of women whose children absolutely hate me. Um, we cut to Pam vomiting in the background. Pam has a talking head. Since Michael's incapable of it, I'm going to be the adult here. We switch back to Michael. I have a lot of experience with bullies. Whenever I started a new school, by the end of the first day, I knew who they all were. And make no mistake, Pam is a bully. And the worst kind of bully? A girl bully. <laughs> I guess because those, uh, th- they're emotional bullies, right? Yeah. Uh, I guess boys are physical bullies, girls cut down to your core. <laughs> there's another one where Michael, or Jim is eating in the break room, and <laughs> Michael comes in and joins him at a separate table. And they start like exchanging compliments back and forth because Jim, or Michael says, you need to talk to Pam, you need to make her understand or you need to fire her because I will not work under these conditions. And so then they start going back and forth, complimenting each other into handing over the responsibility of dealing with the situation. (laughs) So it's just strange hearing them going back and forth. Michael says, you know, I'm stupid. Everybody else sees you as more of a boss than I am. And Jim Retaliate says, no, you've been a boss way longer than I have. And you, you have such creative ideas like the toilet guard and the golden ticket. Like, obviously, you're much more qualified to deal with this kind of stuff than I am. And so it's back and forth until uh, Jim finally says, you're a genius. And Michael's like, well, <laughs> that's, that's it. Last one, I think, and probably my favorite one. Mm. It's just a simple talking head where um, <laughs> J- Jim is kind of nodding and kind of smiling. And he goes, yeah, I mean, all things considered... This was the worst day at work I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> I love that too. It's like, yeah, I, I think so. This this I, tops it all. We've made it, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that ends this episode. End of the official 57th episode of An American Workplace. You can contact us at facebook.com slash workplace pod or at workplace pod on Twitter. You can rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And you can email feedback and ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. I'm on Twitter as well at chadadada, that is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. You can also find me facebook.com slash chad.hopkins and my other show, Cinescope. You can find that where podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. And all the show notes and contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. Big, awesome props to our new Patreon subscribers this week. We have six 
since last week. Um, Caitlin, Stephen, Rachel, Nathan, Bree, and Katie. Great name, Katie. Um, <laughs> I sense <laughs> thank some you bias all. here. <laughs> we love you all equally. Um, thank you very, very much to the six of you and to all of our other subscribers. To the six of you, you will also have a sticker coming. Um, so thank you very, very much for your support. Sorry, <laughs> I ended that on and up. So thank you very, very much for your support. And if you want a shout out and more of an American pod, or an American workplace each week, including access to our discussion outlined notes, a logo sticker, uh, we still, I still have a few more uh, to ship out before I have to order more. So a few more can get in. Uh, bonus episodes and live streams. You can check out our Patreon page, pick the support level that you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplace pod. That's all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 57 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 58 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season six, Koi Pond and Double Date. Bye. Frank and Bones. <gasps> and that's it.